0: As a special post-Pride gift to you all, welcome to the intro to this bonus episode. Back in April, I sat down with film director Whitney Scoggy about their new short film, The Beauty President, about drag queen Joan Jet Black's 1992 historic bid for the White House as the first openly queer write-in candidate for president. Since our initial conversation, which happened right after the film premiered at South by Southwest, the beauty president has gone on to screen at several fantastic film festivals this summer, including AFI Docs Festival, Roxbury International Film Festival, Santa Barbara International Film Festival, and Frameline, San Francisco's Queer International Film Festival. I hope you get a kick out of our conversation and learning about this amazing historic figure who urged queer America to lick bush in 92. We have links to a trailer to the film, as well as where you can find more information about future screenings in your area in our show notes. Enjoy!
1: We've always been here Every single year From ancient gays right up to today See, history is queer Some think it's a new way But we've got something to say History is very
0: This is Lee, and for this bonus episode, I am chatting with a really awesome person that I wanted to introduce everyone to. Their name is Whitney Scoggy, and they are an award-winning filmmaker dedicated to diverse storytelling and representation. Their films act as an extension of social and political activism with hopes of helping audiences understand themselves and the world around them better. They've worked previously at Women in Film, Sundance Institute, Interloper Film, and the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival, and their career has demonstrated a consistent commitment to the art of independent filmmaking. They received their BFA in digital filmmaking from the University of Montana, and their latest project is the film that we're going to be talking about a little bit today, which is The Beauty President, which is a short documentary about Terrence Allen Smith, also known as his drag persona, Joan Jett Black, who ran for president in 1992. And... The film asks the question: If a bad actor can be president, why not a good drag queen? So uh, I'm really excited to get into this conversation. So, hi Whitney, how are you?
1: I'm good. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah, I'm so happy. I got we got reached out to by uh, Breakwater mm-hmm. Studios, and mm-hmm. I was really excited to hear that y'all had had made this short on uh, Joan Jet Black, who. Being somebody who works in a queer historical society, we actually have some items from that run, that presidential run in our archives. So uh, I was familiar with the name and so it was really exciting to see that there's there's more coming and there's there's more folks who are really trying to get that story out there. Uh, so I wanted wanted to just kind of start with you a little bit. Is, mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what got you into filmmaking?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I've basically been into filmmaking since I could hold a camera in my hands. I <laughs> grew up very much into the home movie. The home movie is really where I found my love for film. I was, you know, always kind of taking the camera and setting up my own tripod on books and making my own music videos um, and enlisting my siblings to help me make things. And then that just grew into a love of documentary. I think I've always really been fascinated by everyday life. And I think filmmaking is a way that I communicate with the outside world. So it's always just been a part of me. And I'm so blessed to be able to do this professionally now. Um, And yeah, like you said, I'm really into using film as a way to bring more representation to the screen. I think specifically for queer people, for Black people, for disabled people, for undocumented people, really trying to make sure that we're making space for these stories that are so necessary and so needed to help broaden the canonical of society and what we believe to be our history. I'm really interested in bringing that history that is forgotten or not talked about and bringing that into the mainstream and making that something that needs attention and deserves attention.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you've uh, you've worked previously with uh, or at Women in Film, Sundance, Interloper. How did you get involved with the studio that you made the beauty president with? How did you... How did you first come upon this story? How did you find out about Terrence Smith and Joan Jet Black? Yeah.
1: So for your first question, I met the founder of the studio, Ben Proudfoot, at a film festival. I met him at the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival, which at the time I was a programmer for, and they had a film that played in a shorts block, and I basically it was just like, you want to grab a beer afterwards? And we grabbed a beer <laughs> and kind of did the whole film festival thing. And I was already in LA at that time. And so we just kept in touch and there ended up being um, an opening at the company. And I went through the, the interview process and thankfully got the job. And in my in my day-to-day role, I'm more in administrative type situations. And so I had been asked to help do research for a different series. Hmm. And I came across an article that was talking about this drag queen that ran for president. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. What is this? I need to know everything about this. And I ended up presenting Terrence's story for this other series. It was declines, actually. <laughs> And, you know, and I and that was OK. And I just couldn't get the story out of my head. I couldn't stop thinking about Terrence. I couldn't stop thinking about Joan. And then I found a whole slew of archival on um a Chicago independent archival site. Ooh. And after I found that footage, I was like, oh, my gosh, this has to be a film. So I ended up going back to Ben and basically saying, look, if you don't want to do it, can I do it? (laughs) And so uh, that's where we were. And I, I, you know, I pitched in the project and he was very gracious and he said yes. And let me and a DP go up to San Francisco. I'm in LA. Uh, We went up to San Francisco and, and shot with Terrence and, and yeah, I mean, it was such an incredible experience to be able to meet someone that you didn't even realize was your hero. And so you found the story. And I think, you know, that speaks to why finding our history is so important because we don't know where we've come from. We don't know where we're going to go. And we don't know what's, what power is already inside of us if we don't know who these people are that have laid the groundwork for us to be exactly who we want to be in society right now. And so for me, it was just like, When I found out about Terrence's story, I felt bad. I felt bad that I didn't know about the story because I just felt like it was something that was so important that I should have known about. And then I got angry that I didn't know about it. And then that makes you realize that why, why aren't these stories being more valued and why aren't they being told more? And I think we know the answer to that, but um you know, yeah. So, so yeah, I was just really, really excited to be able to do this.
0: I, we come up against that so often. I mean, I think what you just said and I felt sad and I, then I felt angry is the story that we hear and we say all the time on this show too is why didn't I get the opportunity to learn about this person? Why didn't I get the opportunity to learn about this event? Even things or people that we learned about in our formal education, those queer elements of their story have been systemically erased. One big, you know, story for me that always gets me is that image of, you know, Nazis burning books and that's been drilled into everybody's heads for so long and not until i was an adult and doing research for this podcast did i learn that they're literally burning decades of research on sexuality and gender and so just like those kind of things just blow my mind and i i imagine too the significance of queer people of color being erased is even larger in in the canon of what we're learning about um Tell me a little bit about your experience premiering the film at South by Southwest, especially in such a weird year where, where I'm, I imagine the film festival circuit process and experience is vastly different than you're used to. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's
1: different, you know, it's it's online and it's virtual. And I think, you know, to South by's credit, they did a really great job of trying to still make a sense of community. There was, you know, several online meetups. Um, they had this really great function where audience members could chat their comments about the film. And I really wasn't expecting anybody to like comment on the film. And then the first day I got on there and there was a bunch of comments from people being like, I didn't know about this. Why didn't I know about this? Put her in the textbooks. Oh, um, man. You know, and got a lot of really great feedback. Um, we got a couple reviews out of South by that was really great. And I, I think, you know, I was just so floored that I got to make the film that everything else was a cherry on top for me. And so to be able to premiere at South by was just like, wow, okay, people get it. You know, to a certain degree, as a filmmaker, it was a sense of validation. And I think as a queer filmmaker, it was really like, oh, okay, see, this isn't a niche thing. This is something that other people really can find value in. And it's not just a queer story, it's a story for everybody. It's a story about fighting for what you believe in. It's a story about protecting your friends. It's a story about having the courage to be exactly who you are, no matter what. And I think that's something that everybody can relate to. And I think as a filmmaker, I think you can get sometimes there's a fear of that you can get pigeonholed or you're just blank adjective, you know, director. And for me, it was really about trying to show that this was not just a queer story. This was an American story. This was a story about democracy. And for me, that was a really important thing. And I think it was really validating to see a whole array of people finding um, joy in the film, you know, and Terrence is such a compelling storyteller. How could you, you know, how could you not? (laughs) Um, But I think it was just really, it was really validating to be able to say, okay, my gut was correct. This is something that does matter. This is something that has value. Um, I think that was probably the most gratifying thing to come out of South by. Yeah.
0: Yeah. how did you get a hold of Terrence? Like, did you just cold call and be like, Hey, we want to do this project. We'd really love to talk with you. What was, what was that experience? Like looking him up and, and seeing if you could have him tell his, his own story. Cause that's, I think is the most powerful thing about the film is the archival footage is one thing, but seeing somebody who's still around and thriving and able to reflect on his role as this historic bid and to think about who's who's going to be finding his story now that the film is out there.
1: Yeah, I so I, I have to give credit where credit is due. And um, a couple years ago, Terrell Alvin McCraney, uh, the screenwriter of Moonlight, he did a play on Terrence, and he did a play about the 1992 presidential campaign. And part of that Was they did a GoFundMe to help Terrence, who was experiencing um, some financial issues at the time. And they made a GoFundMe for him, and his lawyer's information was on the GoFundMe. (laughs) So we emailed the lawyer. And then that led to a call with Terrence. And basically, Terrence and I were kind of like kindred spirits. Um, I think we really just hit it off right away. And he was excited at the opportunity to share his story. And I think he was excited at the opportunity to really talk about what that all meant. Because I think it got when it was happening, I think it was very easy to say it was a gimmick and to say Mm -hmm. that it didn't have any value. And it was just this drag queen that was seeking attention. I think that was a take that was around at the time. But what the film does and what I wanted to do was position Terrence as a real candidate with real ideas with something to actually say. And I think that was part of my pitch was that you are an extremely important person. And your story is extremely valuable. And I think he just really appreciated the opportunity to tell his story. I think everybody wants to tell their story. Everybody wants to feel like, you know, what they have to say is going to get heard. And again, all I can say is I'm just grateful at all of the opportunity that's come from finding this story.
0: Yeah, what's, um? do you have like a favorite anecdote or story from Terrence, either directly from him or that you've just discovered about his experience oh, and and presidential run? Gosh, I mean, I, I gotta say, there. so there's a part
1: in the film where he talks about how they realized that they weren't gonna be able to walk into the DNC in drag. And then he proceeds to... Finagle the situation where he goes in in his street clothes presenting as a cis male and then he goes into the bathroom and proceeds to get into his drag outfit and that's how he got in and I think it just shows that. He was being so strategic. He mm-hmm. understood his place in the world. He understood what he looked like mattered. And one of um, one of my antidotes that I have that's not in the film that I think is quite interesting is in the film, Terrence is in a full suit. And I didn't ask him to do that. I wasn't like, hey, can you wear a suit? Because it looks presidential. He wears a suit every single day because he knows that as a queer black man, he has to be careful about how he is presenting in the world because people are going to make assumptions about you and those assumptions can be dangerous. And, you know, so he he wears a suit every day because he understands his place in the world. And another thing that I love that, again, didn't quite make it into the film, but I think is really fun, is he says he has family members that bought themselves out of slavery And therefore, he has a history of not dealing with expletive, uh, you know what I mean? And so I think it's just really interesting that Terrence is such a strong figure in his being, in who he is. And I think that allowed him to do something very, very courageous in my eye, going out in full drag as a person of color, as a Black man, and then... Asking people to engage with you on a political level mm-hmm.
0: in the '90s at the at the height, the height of, the, of AIDS the AIDS crisis. It, yeah, you know? that's where I was going to go next. Is that? I mean, I think you see it in the just the kind of overall atmosphere of the short is that you really, really place Terrence in this height of the AIDS crisis. He's running as uh, as the candidate for the Queer Nation Party and really working towards this campaign is some some folks might say, oh, it's just to get noticed. But that was the that was the largest and most important thing that the queer community needed at that time is notice us pay attention to us while we're all dying and the government is ignoring it can you talk a little bit about just the way that you kind of placed his story within that and had that as a through line through the the short i mean i
1: think you know for me the the Most heart-wrenching part of interviewing Terrence and talking to Terrence was learning that he lost a lot of friends during the AIDS crisis, and learning how quickly that happens, how sporadically it happens, how scared they were, and how no one cared. And I think positioning him as an actual candidate that, and to your point, the visibility was the most important thing, and. Terrence says what's more vi- <laughs> who's more visible than a drag queen. You know, and for Terrence, I think it was extremely thought out and strategic. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was getting attention for his community, for his friends that were dying. Hmm. And I think it's really hard for us, you know, even in even in COVID times, it's just not the same. It's hard to imagine exactly what that was like unless you were there. And the reason that, you know, I kind of positioned it and the AIDS crisis happened. It happened so quick in real life. And in the film, I tried to have it just cut in in the middle. And like, this is what's happening now. Terrence talks about um, before we get into AIDS in the film, you know, he talks about how he finally found his community and he felt like he was on the forefront of this great new world and all of these beautiful things were going to happen. And then No. And then this really tragic thing happens. And I think in terms of what Terrence did politically, that was the most powerful thing they could, done, they could have done at the time. Put yourself on the front line and make people notice what's going on. That is probably one of the most selfless things you can do. I don't think that's attention grabbing. I think that's putting yourself in danger for your community.
0: Mm, yeah. And I think um, I think something that really comes through also just in the way that like Terrence comes across in the film and speaks is that there's something really just really heartfelt in him and his story as an expression of queer joy among tragedy as well. Like you said, it's, you know, who's better to get attention than a drag queen? Who's better to, you know, who's going to be more flamboyant, more out there? And there's, you know, there's an element of joy in that. I don't know how else to to express that.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: And even though it's set in the AIDS crisis, it's not a sad story. It's a story of, it's a story of hope. It's a story that looks back on this person's significant contribution to history that has just kind of been not really thought about. So I, I really appreciate that. I wanted to ask, um, what do you hope most folks that view this film or any of your, your other films that you've worked on take away from watching it? Yeah,
1: specifically for the beauty president, I really want folks to take away the sense that they have a voice and that they have power and that our system is not built for all of us. And the only way we're going to dismantle systematic problems that are happening is by putting ourselves on the front line and taking a risk and saying, my voice matters, my community matters, and I'm going to do something about it. Terrence could have just decided not to do that, but he he spoke up, he did something. And for me, it's just showing audience members that specifically queer audience members, we've always been here. We've always been fighting. And we're going to stay fighting. And you have a role in that. Everybody has a role in that. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's really just about using your voice for your community and not being afraid to do so.
0: Why do you think it's important for people to specifically dive into queer history and just history in general? How why Why is it so significant to look to our past to see where to go?
1: Yeah, I think... You know, you have to acknowledge the small dents. I think people think that progress happens overnight in a vacuum and all of a sudden, you know, Martin Luther King gave his speech and racism was gone. All of a sudden, you know, Stonewall happened and we got our rights. You know, that's just not how it happens. And I think it's really important to take a smaller look at it And give weight to those smaller moments that lead up to what we know as these big historic points, because those people have made just as much a contribution as anybody else. And I think the reason it's important to to recognize that is because, like I just said, we could be those people. We could be the, the foot soldiers of change and have nobody know who we are. And that is okay. But for me as a filmmaker, I think I feel an intense responsibility to use my craft and to use my voice to help elevate other stories and other people. And within the historical context, I think it's really important to dismantle the ideas that our traditional history classes have given us. Mm -hmm. Because you don't hear about queer people very often. And when you hear about Black people, you hear about it in the context of slavery and the civil rights movement, and then that's it. And that's just not the real world. And that's not reflective of society. And we have to be more representative in order to make actual change. And I think film has a way of communicating in a way that other mediums don't. Um, and for me, film is a way to really crack at these topics. And I think history is so interesting because it's intersectional. Mm-hmm. History is a way to talk about so many different things and contextualize it in the present as well. And it's fun. It's fun to look back and be like, oh, my gosh, like, look at us. We were you know, like I said before, like we were there. We have been here. We've been crushing it this whole time. Like put some spec on my name. You know, it's just I, I just think it's so important. And I think it's it's about legacy and it's about protecting that and preserving that for future generations. So you've got the bug. (laughs) oh i've got the bug oh yeah oh yeah yeah it's it's the bug is real for sure
0: (laughs) yeah um i mean if you were to look at any are there any other figures from history queer or otherwise that you really want to dive into with any other projects or if there was a dream project on the horizon Oh, man. Well, I'm really interested
1: in uprisings that happened before Stonewall. Mm, so looking mm-hmm. at the history that happened locally in Los Angeles before Stonewall and positioning Los Angeles as an important place in queer history, I think we tend to think of New York and San Francisco and L.A. can kind of get a little lost in that mix. And just right. being in being in L.A., I'm really interested in uncovering the local history here um, and specifically you know, trying to find more stories of people of color, because I think we get Mm -hmm. queer people of color get forgotten about quite a bit. And so for me, again, as a filmmaker, it's that responsibility, I feel to really use my craft as a way to elevate others. Um so yeah, I mean, I've got the bug. The bug is drawing me to Los Angeles,
0: uh queer <laughs>
1: history. And we'll see what we'll see what, you know, we discover.
0: I mean, I think we're definitely overdue for some sort of look at like black the black cat. That's what is, I want to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly, yeah, exactly. Okay.
1: Okay. <laughs> I was like, do I say it? Do I just say it? I'm really interested yeah, in yeah, the talk black about cat process. Yeah. I'm ex- I mean It's just like, it's so incredible that this happens. It happened two years before Stonewall. And it just is, it's such a, it has so many points that we're still talking about today. You think about police brutality and you think about the intersection between the queer movement. And now we're talking about the Black Lives Matter movement. And I think it's really important for queer people to understand that the Black Lives Matter fight is a queer fight. Mm. And that police brutality is something that affects all of us. And yeah, I'm all about the black cat. I would love to do something on the black cat.
0: Yeah. For, for anybody who's listening and has maybe not heard of the black cat uprising, um, we haven't gotten a chance to do a, you know, a full episode on it yet. But, um, from, from your understanding of the story and what you want to dive into, can you talk a little bit about it? We could just do a real quick primer here. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: So um the Black Cat was a bar in Silver Lake, Los Angeles. And on New Year's, it got infiltrated by police that were in plain clothes. And at midnight, when couples started kissing, they raided the place. And they brutalized many queer people and they brutalized even straight people that were just happened to be there. They brutalized the bar owner, the waiters, everybody in there. People had collarbones broken. People had, um, you know, their faces smashed in by glass. Really, really brutal things. And what happened after that was at the time, the largest protest against police brutality um, it wasn't just queer people, it was black people, it was hippies from the time, they all came together. And I believe it was about 600 people came mm-hmm. together outside of the black cat and protested what had happened. And this was basically a precursor to what we know as the gay civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. A lot of what happens during that time, you know, you get the first pride parade out of this, you get the advocate out of this, you get a lot of different things, per. Out of this movement that started right here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that's like a little, a little like taste of what it was. I mean, essentially, you know, you have queer people trying to live their lives and then being brutalized for being who they are. Mm
0: hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people really position Stonewall as as the most significant event, or a, a lot of folks will position it as the start. Yeah. And, you know, I think what what folks are, are finally paying attention to a couple of years later, I mean, I understand that a couple of years ago, we had the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. And so everybody is paying attention to that a lot. But we have these stories from LA with Black Cat, we have these stories from San Francisco with Compton's Cafeteria Riot of queer and trans black and brown people who were rising up and fighting back against brutalization before this. And so you have Stonewall, it's more like, I like to think of it as more of a tipping point. It's, mm. it exploded in such a large way because there was was the precedence from Comptons, from the Black Cat, from, um, you know, from the race riots that were happening in Detroit earlier the year before in 1968 and so I think what you said about like you got to look at all of the dents Mm -hmm. these things all of these different things especially when it comes to movements for change and for you know dismantling oppressive systems things don't come as just like a big boom it's the individual actions that come together into a finally we're not gonna take this anymore no yeah I mean I mean it's you know
1: I think it's the dents are really important. The dents are really, really important. And like you're saying, there's a tipping point. But what about what happened before that? And I think it's it's important to to recognize a dance because you could be a dance. You know, you never know. You listening. You could be a dent and you don't even realize it yet. And that's just that's just really cool. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Um Yeah. Where can folks see the film in the coming months? Are there any other places that you're planning on screening it? Yes. So I can't announce anything yet. But if you guys (laughs) follow us on
1: Breakwater Studios on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, wherever you get your social media fix, we update all the time about festivals we're in. And hopefully you'll be able to see it soon.
0: Awesome. Uh, I wanted to ask if, uh, I mean, I don't know if there's, you know, enough. Enough content to do this, or maybe it could be something that is expanded in other ways. But do you have any plans or aspirations for expanding the beauty president into uh, something longer, into a feature, or do you find that it it really works best as kind of this this short glimpse?
1: Great question.
0: I am working right
1: now kind of experimenting with uh, my colleague, Sarah Stewart, who is the director of development for Breakwater. And we're kind of exploring what a longer version would look like and what that would mean. I think for me, it's really just about wanting to tell more queer stories. So whether that is expanding the beauty president or finding more stories that work in this universe of what we've kind of created, political pioneers before their time, uh, that's really where my interest lies. And like we were talking about earlier, obviously, I, I'm interested in the Black Cat. And yeah, I mean, possibilities are endless. I think there's definitely more to talk about. Um, and so, yeah, it's something I'm exploring.
0: Cool. Uh, I've run to the to the end of my questions for you. So I wanted to ask if there's anything else that you wanted to talk about or mention that we haven't already discussed. Yeah, no, I mean, this has been
1: great. I mean, it's so awesome talking with someone that also loves history as much as I do with specifically queer history. And so like, I really appreciate you having me on and and just thank you for for helping to amplify Terrence's story.
0: Thank you. I mean, I, I think that I didn't know anything about Terrence before I started working at my day job and so i i think like i said at the beginning of this it was just an absolute delight to get an email that there was a film being made it's like oh yay because i mean i just i'm very familiar with that poster that he did of him mm-hmm. dressed you know like uh like huey p newton in the chair with the you know with the gun and then the the slogan like by any means necessary um yeah. and i think that that was i i think that Of all of his different looks and all of his different, you know, actions during the campaign, I'm just blown. I'm blown away. I'm blown away by the fact that I never learned about this. I'm blown away by the fact that it was it was done with so much earnesty and also really tongue in cheek, um, which I think is something that only can exist in drag. (laughs) Like that (laughs) weird line between sincerity and complete satire in camp. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I think Terrence is aware of that.
1: You know, I think he's very much aware of what he's doing for Mm -hmm. sure.
0: Nice. Uh, well, thank you so much, Whitney, for uh, coming on here and talking to us a little bit about Terrence and about your work. And I, I wanted to give you an opportunity to let folks know where they can find more about you, about your work. Uh, if you are on the social medias at all, I want to make sure that folks go and support you. Yeah. Yeah. So, um,
1: you can find me at at Whitney Skaggy. So that's W-H-I-T-N-E-Y-S-K-A-U-G-E. That's on Instagram. And that's also what my website is. And then like I said earlier, to keep up with the film, definitely follow Breakwater Studios on all of the things.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was a, r- a lot of fun. I'm really glad that we got to talk and I I hope that we get to do some more stuff in the future together. I look forward yeah. to seeing some more projects from you.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I I couldn't agree more and this was great and so thank you so much.
0: Thank you.